Podcast, episode 137. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanmerty. Rather unbelievably, there are only four more scenes left in the play. After this week, it'll be three, since this episode covers the very short scene of Act 4, Scene 6. Just in case we thought things couldn't get any more dramatic, Hamlet has been spirited away to England, Ophelia has lost her mind, and Laertes is back from Paris calling for some kind of revolution. Of course, Shakespeare now gives us what we really need. Pirates. I fell down quite a fascinating rabbit hole of information when I googled Shakespeare and pirates as I was putting this episode together. My personal favourite was an essay called Pieces of Eight, Recent Trends in Pirate Studies, by an academic called Claire Jowett. She also has a great essay called Shakespeare's Pirates, The Politics of Seaborne Crime, in which she details the variety of ways Shakespeare features pirates across the blaze. You'd be surprised how many times they show up, proving themselves an ongoing concern in the cultural life of England at the time. In mentioning the pirates before we even start talking about the scene, I've done what Shakespeare doesn't do, and that's spoil the surprise. He shows considerably more restraint. The scene gives us an alternative to the one we covered last time, that strange scene between Gertrude and Horatio that only appears in one of our source texts. Not all of the information is the same, but it fulfills a similar function here, letting us know where Hamlet is now. Gertrude does not appear, but we do have Horatio, who enters in mid-conversation with a servant. He asks, What are they that would speak with me? Evidently, someone has arrived at the castle eager to meet with Horatio. The servant replies, Sailors, sir. They say they have letters for you. This is all simple enough. But they're sailors. Shakespeare doesn't spoil the surprise like I did. Horatio agrees to meet them. Let them come in. Left alone, or nearly alone, he assumes he knows who sent these people. I do not know from what part of the world I should be greeted if not from Lord Hamlet. He can't imagine that anyone else in the world would be sending him a message like this. The sailors come in, maybe one, maybe two of them. Tempted as I might be to attempt the clichéd pirate accent, I will resist. The main sailor greets Horatio. God bless you, sir. Horatio replies politely, let him bless thee too. And the sailor replies, he shall, sir, and it please him. There's a letter for you, sir. It comes from the ambassador that was bound for England. If your name be Horatio, as I am let to know it is. God will bless this sailor if he sees fit. The sailor explains that he has a letter for Horatio. Tellingly, he says that it comes from the ambassador that was bound for England. This man clearly doesn't know exactly who Hamlet is, or he's been advised not to let on. As far as he leads us to believe, he thinks Hamlet is just an ambassador. He hands over the letter, and Horatio reads it. It's worth wondering who might be on stage now. Are any of the servants hovering in the background? Do these pirates listen to Horatio now as he reads the letter to us in the audience? The information in it is pretty important. He reads, Horatio, 
When thou shalt have overlooked this, give these fellows some means to the king. They have letters for him. Ere we were two days old at sea, a pirate of very warlike appointment gave us chase. Finding ourselves too slow of sail, we put on a compelled valour, and in the grapple I boarded them. On the instant they got clear of our ship, so I alone became their prisoner. They have dealt with me like thieves of mercy, but they knew what they did. I am to do a good turn for them. Let the king have the letters I have sent, and repair thou to me with as much speed as thou wouldst fly death. I have words to speak in thine ear will make thee dumb. Yet are they too much light for the bore of the matter. These good fellows will bring thee where I am. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern hold their course for England. Of them I have much to tell thee. Farewell. He that thou knowest thine, Hamlet. There's a lot of information on this little piece of paper. First, Hamlet has instructions, as usual. As soon as Horatio has overlooked or read this letter, he's to help these fellows, these sailors, pirates, to get to Claudius, as they also have letters for the king. Next comes the news. Before they'd been at sea for two days, ere we were two days old at sea, a pirate ship of very warlike appointment gave them chase. Even if they were keeping his own identity a secret, we can imagine that the ship Hamlet was sailing on was a fairly nice one, ripe for the picking by a bunch of pirates. Their well-armed ship chases Hamlet's vessel, but the winds aren't helping, and Hamlet's ship finds themselves too slow of sail. Since therefore they can't run away, they have to brace themselves for a fight. They put on a compelled valour. They're brave because they have to be. They have been compelled by it. The word grapple appears way back in Act 1 in Polonius's advice to his son. It means the kind of skirmish that happens when two ships make contact, and seafarers board an enemy ship. Now, this is where Hamlet's story becomes really swashbuckling. In the grapple, he boards the pirate ship. But, he says, on the instant they got clear of our ship. Just as he got onto the pirate ship, it sailed away. So he alone became the pirate's prisoner. Apparently he's doing all right, though. They have dealt with him, he says, like thieves of mercy. Nice of them not to be too cruel to him. But, he continues, they know what they're doing. They may not know exactly who he is, but he comes across well, and they know that he'll pay a decent price for having been treated well. So, he says, I am to do a good turn for them. He'll have to settle up with them eventually. For now, Horatio needs to help them to Claudius so that they can give him the other letters from Hamlet. Then, quick as possible, Horatio needs to go and join Hamlet. In scene 14 from last time, we heard that they were going to meet on the east side of the city. Here all we get is that Horatio needs to get there with as much speed as thou wouldst fly deaf. No pressure, so. Hamlet has things to tell him that will make him dumb he'll be speechless with the shock of it. Next comes a rather obscure metaphor. Yet are they much too light for the bore of the matter. Hamlet's image is of a cannon and its bore, talking about the size of it. The inference is that he needs to be more discreet. He needs to speak to Horatio very carefully and quietly, and the tiny little bombs he has to share are far too small to be delivered from a cannon. 
discretion, secrecy and speed are all he needs from Horatio right now. Hamlet signs off, assuring Horatio that these good fellows will bring thee where I am. As for Rosengrantz and Guildenstern, they hold their course for England. When you think about it, it seems a bit confusing that their charge, the prince, is set upon by pirates and then Rosencrantz and Guildenstern decide to continue to England regardless, without Hamlet. Now who knows, maybe Hamlet plans to explain all of this to Horatio when he says, of them I have much to tell thee. Tantalisingly, he just says, farewell, he that thou knowest thine, Hamlet. Pirates, grappling, intrigue, it's all very dramatic altogether. We're starting to get a sense that Hamlet has made up his mind, and is ready to take action. It's only taken him four acts of the play, a glimpse of the marching Norwegian army, and a sea battle with pirates. When Shakespeare was writing, pirates were not quite the international bandits as they're now perceived. Hamlet is at pains to point out that his pirates are merciful, decent fellows. His story is at best improbable, and maybe completely untrue. It seems rather convenient that pirates find him at sea so early in the voyage. How likely is it that Hamlet is the only one who boards their ship, and that they sail away as soon as he does so? And honestly, are Rosencrantz and Guildenstern really stupid enough to let him get away, and then continue to England? There might be a case for arguing that Hamlet paid these pirates to come and get him, so that he can get back to Elsinore. We don't know when he might have had time to do so, considering the rush in which he is squirrelled out of the palace. Or maybe pirates were Shakespeare's favourite plot enhancer, just as in Measure for Measure, wherein a pirate called Ragazine conveniently dies and becomes a decapitated head to help with the Duke's complicated deceptions. So too here, a speedy, merciful crew of pirates help Hamlet to escape when he needs to. And why not? Keep an eye on the show notes page of the website this week. I'll put together a compendium of all of Shakespeare's pirates, from Henry VI right the way through to Antony and Cleopatra. Horatio, by now surely wearing his best poker face, puts the letter away and turns back to these seafarers. He says, Come, I will make you wave for these your letters, and do it the speedier that you may direct me to him from whom you brought them. Come, he says, I will bring you to the king to deliver these messages, and I'll do it as fast as I can, so that then you can bring me to the man who sent them. And, with that, we finish Act 4, Scene 6. Keep an eye on the website for a variety of extra episodes this month. The book club continues with some of Shakespeare's most obscure plays, the rollout of the missing bonus episodes will conclude this month, and I'll try to throw in a surprise or two if I can. If you'd like to keep up to date with everything to do with the podcast, you're very welcome to sign up to the newsletter. This month's edition will be going out in the next couple of days, so you still have time to get your name on the list. You can also follow on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook, all at Hamlet Podcast, or via the website, thehamletpodcast.com. As always, thank you for listening, and I'll speak to you next time.